Hi, I'm Kathy Rushing, host of the podcast, Committed, The Entrepreneur Marriage. If your middle name is Restless and you identify with words like innovator, dreamer, changemaker, creative, independent, or you are married to an entrepreneur or heaven help you, you're both entrepreneurs, this podcast is for you. The entrepreneurial journey can be a little wild at times, like uncharted territory. Join me as I talk with others who are at various stages of the entrepreneur process. We'll explore the wisdom and insights they have gained while navigating the ups and downs of the entrepreneur journey. You'll discover that there are many couples who have found ways to thrive in both their marriage and business. This episode is releasing on January 12th, 2021. This will forever be a special day for us. It's our anniversary. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but this year marks 41 years since we stood in front of our family and friends and committed to whatever was ahead. We were young and so idealistic and really gave no thought to how hard that commitment would be at times. It's probably a good thing that none of us knows what the future holds or we might never take that risk. But we looked to a future that was full of hope and opportunity. I had someone by my side that I knew loved me simply. Mark is not one for token gifts or platitudes. He simply sees me with all my brokenness and loves me anyway, every day. That is something I still have trouble accepting some days, having grown up with a father that was mostly indifferent and then left us completely when I was 17. Mark's love has been a safe place for me to learn what love really feels like. Thank you, babe, and cheers to many more years together. But that's not to say that we haven't struggled at times. Every marriage struggles. There was a season when I wanted to leave, and that's a story for another time, but enough to say that we tied a knot and hung on to our faith in God's goodness and just kept taking one day at a time. Maybe you have experienced a similar place in your marriage, or you're there now. You don't see a way out of the pain, and you can't imagine how things could possibly get better. Well. Listen in to today's episode with my guest, Tony Newhoff. She is the author of a brand new book, which is also releasing today. Her book is called, Before You Split, Find What You Really Want for the Future of Your Marriage. A former divorce attorney, Tony writes very honestly about her now 30-year marriage to Carrie Newhoff and how they went from, quote, that bad, to this good. Carrie is also a former attorney and the founding pastor of Conexus Church near Toronto, Canada. I can only imagine what it looks like for two lawyers to fight it out. Oh my goodness. Well, it took a lot of work, but they gradually transformed their marriage. Tony deeply believes that you don't have to stay in a toxic place in your relationship. Her book offers tools and hope 
to other marriages that may be struggling. Join me now as Tony and I talk about this new book. Tony Newhoff is my guest today. I am looking forward to hopefully getting you and Carrie on the program sometime early 2021, I hope. But today we're going to talk about your new book, Before You Split. Tell us a little bit about you and Carrie, just for some background. How long have you guys been married? Well, this year we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. So uh, it's... Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's slightly more challenging to celebrate when we were actually in lockdown at the time. Uh, And we had 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 plans to travel, um, but we've, of course, put those on hold. Um, But we're just super excited um, and cannot believe that it's actually been 30 years. Where did all those years go? Um, so we, we originally met at law school and, uh, were married during our law school and, um, we started out in Toronto, but we've ended up just North of Toronto in a, um, small community where we have been since 1995. So it's been the place where we've raised our kids. Um, we've founded Connexus Church here and, um, we love this community and, uh, love being a part of it and serving people here. So yes, that's where we're planted. Fantastic. And boy, if this year has taught us anything, it's the power of community. Absolutely. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even if it is Mm -hmm. community from a social distance. This is true. This is true. At least you can go on a walk or something, you know, six feet apart or whatever. And um, tell us a little bit about your family, um, kiddos. So we have um, two sons. Uh, they're grown. And uh, one of them lives close by within about a 20 minute drive. Um, the other one lives on the east coast of Canada, a very beautiful spot um, by the ocean. And uh, yeah, we've, um, we raise them in this community and um, just love spending time with them whenever we can. Fantastic. So they're, they're how old now? Oh, at this point, um, they are 24 and 28. Oh, wonderful. It's a good time of life, isn't it? Mm, yes. Yeah, we are really enjoying the empty nester days, but also uh, just uh, leaning into these adult relationships we have with our sons. And um, we admire what they're doing so much and um, just treasure uh, the conversations we get to have as as adults. It's, it's just, uh, we're loving this phase. Fantastic. Well, I, I look forward to hearing more of your marriage journey from both of your voices when Carrie can join us. Your book is written from your perspective, so that's really what we're going to focus on today. You know, sure. many marriage books are written by counselors, pastors, or coaches who work directly with couples to help improve their marriage. Your professional background comes from a different perspective as a divorce attorney. What motivated you to write this book and who is it for? That's a great question. Uh, I've 
gone through a, a phase in our marriage that Carrie and I have spoken about publicly, where we were desperately unhappy. And uh, I'd like to say it was for a short season, but actually it was quite a lengthy season of years where Carrie and I um, just hit, I, I would say, rock bottom in our marriage. And so um, we've gone through this experience of, of those desperately unhappy days and um but also now are living to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary uh in a marriage that we would both say really exceeds our expectations when we were married so um I, I'm motivated by that, Kathy, just by my desire to uh, give people who are in that desperately unhappy place that there's there's hope, there's a chance that you too could transform your marriage uh, that dramatically. Um, the other uh, reality is that I did practice as a divorce attorney for several years, and I know that I could have been the person sitting in my client's chair. And I had a few clients who came back to me after their separation agreements were done, when they'd dotted the I's, crossed the T's, and said, if I'd known then what I know now, I would have worked harder to save my marriage. And it was compelling to me because uh, I could hear their their sadness. Sometimes there was um, there were hints of regret. And while they were accepting of their current circumstances, it um, motivated me to, to share with people uh, what I'd seen as a divorce attorney, what I'd learned personally as Carrie and I went through our struggles, and to, to combine those insights so that um, people who are in that place where we were um, could at least see their options more clearly and have more food to food for thought before making that all important decision about what to do next. Did you ever have anyone that got back together after they divorced? I can say that I didn't have anyone among my clients who did, but I personally know people who have. And uh, I've, I've heard their stories. And so, yes, I, um, I, I personally know, and I actually um, interviewed uh, one couple who had that story. Hmm. I included their story in the book. Okay. One of the reviewers, John Acuff said, I don't like when perfect couples write perfect books about their perfect marriages. It feels discouraging, unattainable, and above all, fake. I want real books about real marriages that offer real hope. And your book certainly does this. It really is the story. I mean, you include a lot of stories about you and Carrie. And so I appreciate that because I, I would agree with uh, John Acuff that there are a lot of books that have great ideas, but when you're in a place that you're hurting, I think we tend to think, uh, mm -hmm. well, that's great for them, but that doesn't apply to me. Um, you know, and being mm -hmm. so open about your marriage can be risky, especially, you know, being a pastor on staff at a church. I'm curious how much of your story is already known to your congregation and how have people received that? 
That's a really great question. Um, Carrie and I have been speaking publicly about our marriage, I would say, for several years now. Maybe the first time we we spoke about it might have been 2012 or so. Um, so it has been several years. It's definitely no secret to our congregation that Carrie and I went through years of deep struggle. I think one some of the stories um, that I've uh, laid out in the book in a bit more detail as a as a springboard to helping people with very specific practical suggestions. Um, some of those stories we haven't talked about before. Um, but I, you know, I've had friends make the comment to me in the past that, oh, you don't know what it's like, you're a pastor's wife. Uh, almost as if mm -hmm. to say, you're a pastor couple, you're in, you're in a different category, or you get a buy on what the rest of us <laughs> have to experience in marriage. And I, I wanted to dispel that notion. And I have not overblown any of the stories in this book. Uh, they are true and real stories, um, as embarrassing as it is for me to say that. Um, but I want to highlight that, no, it's not different for us. We went into ministry with all of the purest intentions of serving Christ. And we got married uh, anticipating a, a life of bliss and also some struggles of course everyone tells you there's going to be struggles and so we can accept that but but essentially we uh you know we started out together and with this attitude of well what could go wrong what could possibly go wrong with this wonderful relationship that we both have right and uh <laughs> we discovered after several years with our um busy lives professional lives being parents and, and in particular, being, I would say, emotionally unprepared for marriage. We both had um, significant uh, experiences in our past um, that led to wounding that we didn't understand. We were th without mentors. Um, when we moved into the new community, we were relatively isolated. And, and so all of those things put together made our marriage problems complicated and uh and so i do i do have to um trust that people will uh take what we've exposed in the spirit they're intended that yes we had to go through a, a healing process and it was real and difficult and gut-wrenching at times um but on the other side We've also experienced great joy. Um, there's a depth in our relationship that is irreplaceable. And, um, and I, I hope that it really truly will be a source of hope for other couples who are struggling. Yeah, absolutely. I think that if people were to meet you and Carrie now, I haven't met you guys in person, but have heard great things about our mutual friends, the Miles people would probably look at you and, and, you know, if they're in a place that they're struggling, look at you and Carrie now and think, well, they've just always been happy. They've always been this in sync and great communication skills. But the reality is marriage is hard work, 
some of the time, not all of the time, or I don't think we would ever get married, (laughs) but there is work. And you talk in your book a little bit about expectations. I think that is one of the biggest things that trip up many couples is they have unrealistic expectations that, well, because we love each other, everything is just going to work out. But that is not the case, as you and I know. And and we we bring our own baggage, mud you refer to in your book. We bring in this mud, our our history. And we all have history. We are, no matter how good a background growing up someone comes from, they still come in with some brokenness because you just can't get to 20 or 30 and not have some pain in your life that has impacted you. You say in your book, Tony, that um, we we went from that bad, I'm putting that in air quotes, to <laughs> this good. Can you give us a snapshot of what your marriage looked like then and what it looks like now? In those conflicted years, it seemed like Carrie and I were on this downward spiral of negativity. I think it didn't help that both of us were were trained as lawyers. So we went through a long period of we would we would fight for our own position and our own perspective. And it was almost like we were mini warlords fighting for our turf. Uh, yeah, you were trying to win, right? <laughs> with yeah, <laughs> with a big valley, a chasm in between us. And, uh, and sometimes our fighting would get personal. And so it was like we were shooting arrows at each other from our invisible fortress. And, and that conflict style was just futile. It, it was uh, taking us down. And, and not only us, but it, it also, I think at times, poisoned the atmosphere at home. Uh, it, was, it, it wasn't good for anyone. Uh, in those days, it was almost like this tension just simmered under the surface, and it only took, uh, you know, a, a slide, a, a snide comment, uh, a, a backward uh, insult to bring it back to life again. And uh, we were always struggling in that negative atmosphere. Uh, these days, um, Carrie, Carrie and I have just learned so much more about uh, our own triggers, what we need to do when we're triggered, um, our personalities. Uh, the Enneagram has been super helpful. Uh, it really mm. helps us to know our conflict styles and even ha- how our wiring uh, sets us up for resolving conflict. I mean, everyone has their own conflict style, but the Enneagram is also an insightful tool uh, of self-awareness. So these days, when Carrie and I have differences, we we just don't have that same emotional, um, you know, fighting for my own turf approach to it, where it's m- much more intuitive these days for us to take a united approach, to approach the problem as as if we're fighting for we instead of fighting for me and to understand 
and appreciate um, the strengths that each other will bring to this conversation, as well as our own personal weaknesses. Uh, we are much more emotionally responsive to each other, which in, in the earlier days when we were stuck in that cycle of conflict, um, we would either dismiss or ignore each other's emotions or even you know, even tell each other what, that we were wrong for having those emotions. Like we've, we made all the mistakes. Um, but now at this point, we're far more likely to, to just to understand where the other person's coming from, or even to, to say something like, oh, I can see this is making you angry. Uh, what can I do? How can I help? And even just being able to recognize um, each other's emotions and validate them um, builds a, a closer bond. So to sum it all up, it really is a world of difference. I think it's fair to say that it was that bad and now it is that good. So I'm curious now, what types do you each identify with on the Enneagram? I've done quite a bit of well, all kinds of personality profiles, but I really love the Enneagram for its many, many layers of growth that yes. really help with self-awareness as well as understanding the other person. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I don't think it would be a surprise to people to know that Carrie's an Enneagram 8. And and I know he I has shared that in that different conversations as well. So he's an eight with a seven wing and that fun side of him also does come out. I think if you have a conversation with them, you'll end up seeing it one way or the other. Uh, and, and I'm a five. So a five is an investigator, sorry, an eight is a challenger. So mm -hmm. he's, a, he's a challenger, uh, you know, that tends to be a leadership style personality. Uh, he's driving for the truth. He's loyal, but there may be bodies flying in the meantime. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm wired as an investigator, so I tend to be much more private, um, more of a researcher personality. Um, but I have a four wing, so my, my four wing also uh, leads me to be um, a little bit more creative and mm -hmm. um, in tune with uh, the emotions of people around me. So, uh, yeah, I feel like the five with a four wing is almost a little bit schizophrenic. Um, but there you go. We we're definitely wired differently. Yeah. Well, we all are, right? But yes. that's another one of those uh, expectations is that, well, we're in love. So we must have everything in common and nothing could be further from the truth most of the time. Forgiveness is a concept we all need, regardless of religious affiliation. I know you and Carrie are very involved as Christians and very involved in your faith community. Not everyone who listens to this necessarily has that same orientation and that's okay. Much of what I've tried to address in this podcast is covering principles that apply to most any marriage. I think it was Anne Lamott that said in, I believe it was in Traveling Mercy, she said, not forgiving someone is like taking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. I have remembered <laughs> that quote for a long time. You talk That's about right. a difficult season. 
Yeah, where you and Carrie had reached a place of mutual contempt. John Gottman, the infamous relationship expert, he's written many books on marriage and relationship, but he calls contempt one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. In other words, this relationship is in need of the ICU. Mm -hmm. What were the steps you took towards forgiving Carrie? Since I only have you here, so... (laughs) would love to hear your perspective how and how did that change your marriage approaching forgiveness from that place of contempt is very difficult because you have not only the layer of uh broken trust i think by the it's fair to say that by the time you've reached mutual contempt your trust has been broken. And layered on top of that is just the, the, the strong emotion that goes along with contempt. So in that place, it was, it was a challenge for us, no doubt. Um, because when your trust is broken, you, you feel like you're really putting yourself out there. If you do something, um, if, if you're the one who makes the first move, if you're the one who makes the, um, the, the risky move of maybe saying an apology or extending the olive branch in some way, uh, you have that human um, tendency to fear what the result will be. Am I just going to be a doormat? You know, is this kindness? Yeah, am I going to be rejected? Will I be abandoned? Will I be laughed at? Will I be humiliated? I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities that that run through your mind. And I, I remember that years before we ended up in this desperate place, um, Carrie's father, who is a, a just a, a beautiful Christ-following man, had said that uh, that love is an act of the will. And when he said that in our earlier days, it struck me as very unromantic. I, I mean, when you boil down <laughs> love in a marriage to uh, to being an act of the will, uh, it's it's something that I I thought, okay, well, I can I can agree with that. I can assent to it but I certainly don't aspire to it. Um, But in that place of contempt, that is precisely what love becomes. It becomes not only the the willingness to to act in loving ways toward your spouse when you don't have the emotional motivation to do it, um, but also just that, um, that, willingness to lean in instead of leaning away from the pain. Um, when you when you reach that place in your marriage, uh, there has to be something that will um, cause you to take steps forward. And since that time, I, I, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 126, verse 6. Um, it says, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And, and the reason I love this psalm is that it paints that picture 
it, it, well, it carries the principle of the harvest. So the overall, the principle of the harvest is that you, you reap what you sow, you reap later than you sow, and you reap more than you sow. And so here you have a picture of, of the farmer um, carrying seeds out to the field, but weeping as they go. So obviously there's hardship. Uh, we don't know what the hardship is, but there is something that is causing the farmer to grieve walking out into the field. And I think this is such a fitting picture for what to do when you're in that desperate place or even the place of contempt and, and what we, we really were called on to do in those days um, was to, even though our emotions were a mixture of sadness, anger, frustration, uh, desperation, um, to still plant seeds of love, plant seeds of kindness, plant seeds of respect, even if it's just the tiniest bit, if all you can manage is one tiny bit, that's okay, we're talking about a seed. And, and that by just planting one seed, uh, you are planting in the hope of that later harvest, that this, this marriage that seems like there's no life in it right now um, can actually return in the future, um, not only with an adequate or, um, you know, calm state. It's not, we're not promised civility. We're actually promised songs of joy. And, and not only songs of joy, but then carrying sheaves with them that the farmers come, far, farmer comes back with an armful where he had a handful of seeds. Now he, she has a, an armful of sheaves, which represents the abundance of the harvest. And so that I love that picture because um, there is a promise. And I do believe sincerely that where a person, where a spouse decides to plant seeds of love, regardless of what that outcome is, they're still going to reap a harvest and it's going to be good. Yeah. So it's a and it may... perseverance and hope. Mm -hmm. And I hope people really meditate on that song. It's helped me so much. Wow. That's a beautiful picture. And what, like you said, it's no guarantee of like in marriage, it doesn't guarantee that the marriage survives. But what it does do is you can look yourself in the mirror and know that you truly did everything you could. You know, a marriage takes two people. And sometimes uh, the other person is, you know, they've gone to contempt and there's just no moving them back. Mm. But I think to, as you said, keep sowing seeds, little steps, and sometimes it takes time for, uh, I, I use the analogy sometimes of a bank account and think of a healthy marriage is one that has a healthy balance, right? But that mm. balance doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come in a week. Mm. Uh, we can make withdrawals that are pretty big, but if there's a healthy balance, even a big withdrawal doesn't end the relationship. It's those little niggling things that drip, drip, drip away a lot of times in a relationship that really, you know, you end up in contempt. And for those that 
may not understand the idea of contempt. It's when you lose all respect for the other person and just the sight of them or the sound of their voice just is like nails on a chalkboard or something. So that that's kind of what we're talking about with mm -hmm. contempt. And can I just say one more thing, Kathy, that uh, mm -hmm. in our uh, depths of our unhappiness, um, we both said things we didn't want to say, did things we didn't want to do, but we were unhappily married. Uh, our marriage wasn't harmful. And I want to raise this because when we're talking about contempt, for some couples that um, that situation looks different. And there could be people listening right now whose marriage is actually harmful, not unhappy. Mm. Uh, I don't want to give uh, an unclear message about people who find themselves um, dealing with spouses' behavior that is toxic or potentially destructive. Um, and sometimes it's difficult to know the difference. Uh, I would encourage anyone, if, if you're currently wondering, well, I'm really not sure if my marriage is unhappy or whether it's harmful, I strongly encourage you to open up to someone in your circle who is wise, uh, who you, you feel that you can share with openly and honestly, or, or maybe you have a mentor, maybe you have a relationship with a counselor. Um, and even if you don't have an established relationship with a counselor, this is a question that's worthy of taking to a counselor. I, I do want you to have that conversation and to, to get advice over whether your marriage is unhappy or harmful. Uh, I don't want anyone to stay in a situation that's unsafe. I'm so glad you brought that up because I couldn't agree more. You know, home should be a safe place for everyone. And uh, so thank you for that clarification. In your work as a divorce attorney, you identify three options that couples have when they think, we just can't do this anymore. What are those options that you talk about in the book and the potential outcomes of each? I talk about three options split, survive, and save. And splitting is obvious to people. I think everyone has, has known someone close to them who's gone through a separation, or maybe your own parents went through a separation uh, at some point in your life. And so the consequences of splitting are um, pretty obvious uh, in one sense. Uh, that if you're parents, you do need to figure out how you're going to divide um, your parenting time with your kids and how you're going to make decisions on behalf of your kids. Uh, there's financial consequences. Often there's um, lifestyle changes or maybe even constraints that come into play and questions about are we still going to live in the same community or is one of us going to move and so on. There's a whole list of potential consequences for splitting. I think what people don't necessarily understand is that the situation you're in right now is unique. And when, when the pain in your marriage is great enough that you're motivated to leave it, you may not 
see clearly what the consequences will be um, in your particular case. And what I heard from many of my clients was uh, a sense of surprise or even shock over what they did actually experience. So they expected that walking away was was going to result in a certain picture and that the picture that they ended up with was different and mm -hmm. maybe not any, it didn't, didn't meet with their expectations. So for some people, it felt like they, they thought they were walking away from a set of problems and that they would have a blank slate in front of them and the ability to create the story they wanted. And what they ended up with was a different set of problems that may not have felt like an upgrade. Uh, I talk about surviving in marriage and often we think about the options as being binary. You know, if you're struggling in your marriage, you think about, should I stay or should I go? Um, but I think it's clarifying to recognize that there is actually a third option. The third option is staying together, but with emotional disconnection. So being emotionally disconnected, but staying under one roof is a reality for couples. And it might... I've heard it people. I've heard people talk about it as being um, roommates, or perhaps it seems more like a business arrangement where each spouse um, gets something from the relationship or gets a set of uh, benefits. So maybe uh, he gets a golf membership, she gets to go to the spa, he gets a hunting week away with his friends and and she gets a week at the all-inclusive uh, with her girlfriends and there it's it's not of course not written out like a business contract but that's the way it functions and there's something missing at the core that that something is their their emotional bond and surviving in a relationship uh, is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be an advantage. It might need. It might be what you need to do to work on rebuilding a heartfelt emotional connection. And so, I would say um, for people who are surviving in their marriage, uh, that may be something that you want to view as as temporary in the sense that yes it's good for us to survive in our marriage but recognize that that's what we're doing right now and then go for something that fills that need inside and and that's what i call saving a marriage so the third option is to uh, to transform your marriage into one where you you do feel uh, fully satisfied and connected with each other. You both feel loved and cared for. And, you know, if someone had told that to me, if someone had said, uh, well, you can transform your marriage and save it. When I was in that desperately unhappy place, I would have thought, oh, sure, that's, that may be true for someone else, but I can't see it being true for me. Um, because when when I know what it's like to be in that desperately unhappy place and it feels like maybe you've signed up for a lifetime of of misery like is this really as as good as it gets and so i i just want to encourage people that um that there is hope there are ways to re-establish that emotional connection and uh some of it has to do with 
becoming more emotionally in in sync with each other, attuned to each other. I mean, we we often think about infants or children as needing, you know, needing that emotional attachment with their parents. And we don't think about it, though, for people who are older. We don't think about it in our marriages. Um, but actually, we're we're wired to crave intimacy and to be uh, emotionally close to the people who who are closely around us, like in our immediate family, in our marriage. And so that is um, that emotional attunement is like learning emotional intelligence. Um, emotional mm-hmm. intelligence isn't static. It's, it's something that you can learn. And there are skills that you can adopt in your marriage to, to rebuild that bond if it's not there. And so, yeah, there you have it. The three options, split, survive, or save. Yeah. And just to be clear, you have a chapter in your book where you talk about if you have children, thinking about how it impacts them. And I don't think you're advocating for couples to go into survive mode and just stay there forever. You know, some Mm -hmm. people say, well, we're staying together for the sake of the kids, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of research about the emotional damage done, especially if they've moved to contempt and continue to live together Mm -hmm. and how damaging that can be for children also. Mm -hmm. Well, staying together for the sake of the kids uh, is, is something that people choose to do. And, and um, who am I to, to judge one way or the other? Um, The only point I'm trying to make by, by, pointing out that one of the options is to survive is that a marriage that's surviving is a marriage that is at risk and it's at risk because at some point one of you may feel the emptiness of that lack of emotional bonding and and recognize it as emptiness and want something more, or or maybe responding in an unhealthy way to that feeling of emptiness by, um, you know, any one of a number of addictions or just unhealthy behaviors. And so, I would just encourage people who are uh, who are staying together for the sake of the kids um, to to really step back and uh, and and look at the the issue of, you know, if there's a wall between you, why is that wall there? If there's a wall between you that um, forgiveness might possibly be able to dismantle, then what steps can you take toward forgiveness? Such a crucial issue. And it, um, it's, uh, it's painful to approach forgiveness when you've probably each got your long list of grievances um, toward each other. Um, but having said that, you know, forgiveness takes the essential elements of really recognizing and getting down to the facts, the facts of what has actually happened and who has in fact hurt the other. And then how do you view each other with, with eyes of mercy? And then how do you view yourself with the humility Um, that you need to be able to own your part of building that wall. And uh, I think when, um, when, when Carrie and I took 
that those steps of forgiveness seriously, then it, it you know, we were able to start dismantling that wall. And, and I believe that um, if you're in that place right now, uh, you, you can go pretty far by building a, a practice and uh, a habit of forgiveness in your marriage. Yeah. And I think ultimately the bottom line is it comes down to doing your own individual work, not waiting for the other person to change. Mm -hmm. So we always have mm -hmm. that option of doing our own work, growing and understanding our own inner life, what healing we need to do emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. As you know, the focus of this podcast is entrepreneur marriage. Many principles of marriage obviously apply to all marriages, but the entrepreneur marriage is a little more challenging. There are, there's more financial risk at stake and there just are some unique challenges. Some people talk about or speculate, I guess I would say that there's a higher rate of divorce amongst entrepreneurs. And I'm just curious what your experience has been. Is, is that your observation or not? I would tend to agree, although I don't have the stats to back that up, Kathy, but yeah, it's um, been but really there hard is, to find stats. Mm -hmm. There is that, uh, that extra uh, level of intensity uh, when you, when you have risk and um, financial ups and downs uh, and, uh, and sometimes the long hours, you know, there are seasons in entrepreneurship where uh, you do really need to treat your business like a, a baby and it, you know, you, you can't leave it alone and expect it to survive on its own. Right. <laughs> right. That's a good so analogy. I would say that that is, <laughs> I would say it does line up with what I observed in my practice. So it wouldn't sur surprise me at all if the, if there was research done on that and it would show that uh, entrepreneur marriages were more at risk. Mm -hmm. um, I was just and, curious. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I mean, having said that there are um, many people we know, I'm sure you know, um, who have thriving marriages and mm -hmm. are managing to build their business. I think the, the additional challenge is really staying um, united as a team. I mean, if there's ever, you, you really need to have that sense that um, the two of you are connected together and that the, the business is not a part of your identities. Um, it's not... Uh, you, you know, if, if your business dies, you don't die. <laughs> and you both need to be able to at least separate yourselves to the point where you can both face whatever issue you have connected with, with the um, business as a team, that you can face those issues with your own partnership and, and the business being um, what you can uh, build up together. You both bring your strengths to it, um, but it doesn't own you and it doesn't um, dictate your decisions. It, and it, it also needs to not um, separate the two of you. I mean, if you, 
if running the business means that you no longer have any date time or any margin in your in your family, then it may be time to question what you're doing or how you're doing it. Yeah. And I would include that uh, starting a business with starting a church as well. I think uh, that's our history. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mark and I started a church, oh goodness, back in the mid 80s. Long before we really knew the term entrepreneur. But I think a lot of those principles apply to those that start churches as well. And keeping your identity whole apart from your ministry, even. Yes. Well, I know our time is almost up, Tony, and I I have appreciated so much your wisdom, but I have one final question. And that is with all that you know now about marriage, what would you say to your younger self, the Tony, before she got married? I think I would have made sure along the way uh, that I was deliberate about having a mentor um, for life, not um, not simply for leadership in the church, um, but just someone who is a stage ahead, um, who whose marriage was in good shape, uh, who had a reputation for making wise decisions, and and having and nurturing that connection all the way along because in those early years we we truly were lacking mentorship and i think there are um just so many advantages to having that um that wise voice and that compassionate person you can turn to uh so i I think that would be number one you know, becoming isolated is just such a problem. And whether you're, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you are a church leader, um, it's easy in those circumstances when, when life is going a hundred miles an hour and you've got so many things competing for your attention to allow your relationships to become superficial and, in, when that happens, we tend to become isolated. And, and I did find myself in that place uh, where I was uh, functionally isolated from anyone who, you know, really, who I really had an intimate connection with, somebody other than Carrie, because your spouse can't bear the weight of being your only friend. So you need to have other connections. And I would say, Make sure you have a mentor in your life, uh, also a close friend or two who you can really be honest with um, would just take you so far. Don't let yourself become isolated because uh, I, I really believe that's uh, a playground for the enemy and um, we're not meant to be isolated. God himself, God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit our community, the the essence of God is community. And we are wired in God's image, made in his image. And we need community as much as God is designed and encompasses community. Yes, wise words to end on. Tony, I thank you so much. And your book releases January 12th. 2021. I can remember that date because it's our anniversary. So I'll look forward to picking it up. Congratulations in advance. Thank you. 
and this will probably release shortly after her book. So I just want to encourage people to pick it up. It is a great piece of hope with some very practical things that you can do really today. You can take the first step in your marriage. So Tony, thank you so much. And I look forward to meeting with you and Carrie very soon. This has been such a pleasure, Kathy, and um, and I can speak for Carrie. We look forward to talking to you, too, in the near future. Wonderful. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you're discovering that this is a place where we can have honest conversations about marriage and the entrepreneur life. Yes, Carrie's a pastor, but he founded that church. And in many ways, starting a church is very much like starting a business, except that you're mostly working with volunteers. So it's a little bit like herding cats. I hope something today sparked hope for you, especially if you're in a tough place at this moment. Now is not forever, but the choices we make today can make a big difference down the road. So I'm curious, what is one thing you can do today that would encourage your spouse or make a deposit in your love bank, even if the loving feeling isn't there? I'd love for you to join me over on Instagram, where we'll be giving away a copy of Tony's book. You can find me there, either search my name, Kathy Rushing, or my handle is at entrepreneur underscore marriage underscore coach. You're building a life together. Make it a great one. See you next time.